0: Welcome to the Through the Grapevine Podcast, brought to you by Nottingham Sellers, located in the historic Livermore Valley. Be sure to join our community on Instagram at TTG underscore podcast, and don't forget to subscribe, as our message is only as strong as our following. Now, here are your hosts, Colin Craner, Jeremy troop Mossy, and Jason Montero. Ladies and gentlemen, it's showtime. And there it is. Welcome back to the TTG podcast, y'all. This is Jeremy troop Massey. Um, I've got my lovely co-host Colin here. We are without a Jason Montero today, but we're ready to rock. We're ready to roll. We're still here at the Advanced Creative Studios nestled right behind us. Got a whole bunch of things going on. We got Love Livermore ladies going on today. We got a bottling going on today. So um, we got a busy one, but we're going to get through it. We got another tremendous guest here who we're excited to chat with.
1: Um, how you feeling over there, Colin? Feeling good. Yeah. Feeling good. Excited about today's uh, today's guest. For sure
0: yeah well and so it is uh just make it known with with a bottling going on next door listeners yeah. um we're gonna you know colin colin's anxiety levels up a little
1: hot yeah. so um, yeah he jeremy's just, yeah. on like the 10 minute intro today just, yeah <laughs> so let's let's do it let's All right, do let's it let's
0: go all right, this gentleman that we have here today is is more than far more than a Livermore local. Uh, we talk about the terroirs. Colin, can I get a soil drop over there? Loyal to his soil. Soils. soils. Um, he is the COO, um, fifth generation winemaker, chief of winemaking. We, we welcome to the stage Carl Wente. How you doing over there? Welcome, welcome.
2: Great. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you all for what you do. All right. Appreciate it, man. Thank Glad you to have for coming you. out. Happy Friday. Loving the suit too. Loving the colors. That is. Thank you. Not a suit, just so, for the record. Yeah, I, got, I do coat. have a sport, sport code. code sports sport's code because yeah.
1: it's for sports. <laughs> it's for sporting. Fair enough. I'm in sport mode over here. Sporting. So um, we are, are. You're in over the top mode over there. I know. <laughs> just kidding, dude. Right? We'll settle in here. We'll settle About in here. Like three ses- sessions ago, Jeremy started with the, the intro music and like, yeah, it's like five minutes to. Just stop what you're doing for a second I, like I know, right?
0: It. I got to okay. uh, probably cut it back down to no, one, no, one, no, one no, up no. song instead of like four, six, <laughs> yeah. you know, four in a row. And I'm getting over, yes. just jacked up on Mountain Dew. <laughs> um, but before we get rolling, just want to talk about a couple things in the news here. Um, some, you know, things that we've been talking about. We've got the uh, James Suckling event um, that I'll be attending tomorrow, which I'm excited about. Um, we'll see if we touch in it in some capacity um, in some of the topics, just in terms of the style of event that it is, because it is quite the grand tasting. I'm excited to do that and transitioning right in to registration for the oakville grand tasting which is right around the corner for us just it's you know this you know, springtime summertime comes and all these really fun uh wine tastings are you know start to happen people are pouring you know the latest bottlings and whatnot so getting to measure p maybe talk some short-term rentals we're going to talk about a, a whole bunch of things but in the meantime well, let's start with uh let's start with carl Wente here we always like to start with the low-hanging fruit um i think a lot of people know much about the wenty family and what you've done you know from your very personal perspective um you know give us the give us you know give us the rich history um who you are where are where we're headed
2: Wow, that was a big, uh, a big, broad place to start. But, you know, but ultimately, my great-great-grandfather came from just south of Hanover, Germany, worked his way across the country, and when he got to California, he wanted to work for a German, and Charles Krug gave him a job up in the Napa Valley. And then in 1883, I think in a great dose of irony at this point, but ultimately he left the Napa Valley to go to the best known growing region in California first international gold medal came out of Livermore Valley. I mean, it was really a place to be. Warm days, cool nights, deep gravelly soils. I mean, it was just recognized as world-class wine region, and it still is world-class wine region, and it's so fun to see now the evolution where there's 50 to 60 wineries, tasting rooms here in the valley, a lot of good, awesome creative people, creative winemakers, creative grape growers, creative musicians, creative food people, and the likes all the way through. But my great-great-grandfather set up shop. He had seven children. At the homestead, right on Tesla Road, where our winery is today, and then now we're five generations in. We have about 2,000 acres of vineyards here in the Livermore Valley, and a thousand down in the Seco. And people ask me what's the best part about my job, and it's the fact that the family has close to 3,000 estate-grown, sustainably farmed acres of grapes, and every year get to nurture that land, nurture those grapevines, try and make the best wines possible. And so it's really fun working with the same vineyard, same vines,
1: year in year out. Nice. Very, very cool so uh, your family's been here a long time just kind of jumping into some of the immediate or some of the things you recognize so you know take us through uh getting out of school talking about you know your experience outside of wente and kind of bringing it back home
2: yeah so i uh graduated from stanford and my dad was pretty clear he's like hey uh you're not coming back you're not living at home after this like you're you're out on your own and i thought i bet if i go to uc davis and study winemaking with the intent of coming back to the family business, I can get my dad to pay for another year of school. And it turned out, it turned out I was right. I did have to work as I was going through it, but he definitely subsidized another year in there. And then while I was at UC Davis studying winemaking, it became clear first and foremost is that I need to taste a lot of wine. I put quotes around tasting because when you're age 22, like at tasting wine, it's a it's a fun endeavor, but really understanding the world of wines and the depth and complexity of wines but the, what really made me fall in love with this endeavor was the plant physiology and studying the grapevine and really that just the light went on of like oh we're farming flavors like everything you do in the vineyard is about nurturing the best flavors in those grapes and then you take those grapes into the winery and you try and harness the potential of those grapes as it comes through and that sort of seasonality the working with those grapevines really had me fall head over heels in love with wine and so it's cool that i got my own little love affair with wine and didn't feel like it was forced upon me
1: cool I think uh, it's ironic that you're you know you kind of took that grape growing approach and then I'd say I don't know from outsider looking in the last 10 years or so like now taking that to the winery and making some improvements on the on the production side of things and not only improving efficiencies but like making better wine right so you kind of took the grow better wine Okay, I got my head around that. And then now, what are some of the things you're doing like in the winery to, to take that you know fruit that you've improved on to, to the next level? Yeah,
2: so, I mean, good question. And I think it, one of the things, you really got to separate red winemaking and white winemaking. And white winemaking is something that we've been doing well for a really long time. Mm-hmm. And I knew that there was potential to improve our red wines. And this is going back to 2010, 11, 12, in those years. And it was really like when it became clear, crystal clear to me that we were growing and better red wine grapes than the wines that we were making I knew it had to be about how you're managing the fermentation how you're managing when you pick what you do during that window that opportunity of time where you crush red grapes then they're in a tank and how you mix that tank how you manage the temperature how you do all of those things before you press the grapes as you well know Colin as you both know I mean it could be as little as five days till you press it could be as much as 20 days till you press but that window of time is the opportunity to lay the foundation of red wines that can then age then be blended in the likes because if you don't get your color your structure your texture that beautiful mid palette if you don't build that in the fermenter you ain't going to build it elsewhere and right. so it's really been it a driving focus yeah exactly yeah. goes back out to the field beautiful compost material that you put back in the vineyard but yeah. you get one chance a year to do this job mm-hmm. and i'd be rem- gentlemen i'd be remiss if we didn't get ourselves
0: a cheers in cheers
2: it's friday it's friday it is Here Friday.
0: This is a little, uh, little, little, Pine Ridge Cab Franc Napa Valley 2016. We had, we uh, took a trip up there recently. Tremendous tour. We talked about it a couple, a couple interviews prior. Yeah, Tracy
1: month. Hoff. Uh, she used to do run, run hospitality at Stephen Kent Winery. She's up there now, and so she set us up. And awesome stuff. We didn't have the Cab Franc that day. You kind of took a little flyer on this. When I see it on the menu, it's one of those. You know. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a fan nice mm-hmm. nice it's, it's a, a nice cab front
0: not too shabby huh right. well, absolutely um, sure, just we'll a, talk a
1: little bit about that
0: yeah just out of curiosity here um as we kind of get there um i'm could, i was wondering if you could give a little perspective in terms just of the size of the like operationally what it takes to run the size of winery that you are indeed managing over there um, i think it's most people in the wine industry, if you've touched wineries, it's been in a much more intimate, you know, setting in terms of the, you know, five, maybe five thousand cases, ten thousand cases, whatever. But not much, not many times you get to see quite the operation, the facilities, and the team, and just like it's an incredible thing to watch. But could you just give a little perspective on, yeah, the, I mean, you know, what it takes to, you know, to,
2: to manage that piece? Yeah, I mean, it's it's large enough that we have some scale, but we're still we're number thirty in the state, so there's a lot of people that are a lot bigger than us. And mm-hmm. maybe fifteen years ago, uh, one of my first bosses at Wenty at Wenty Vineyards when I came back after working at Peter Michael Winery and before that in Australia, you know, he said something that just stuck with me for the rest of my life and still does. It's like your, your success is gonna be predicated on how well you build your team and building your team is about relationships and there's no way that you can do it alone, right? And so it's really that educating, discussing, getting everybody rowing in the same direction, pulling on the same side of the rope, but it's always focusing on wine and that wine quality at the end of the day, right? In meetings for the first 10 years of my life, I would go up on the whiteboard and I would draw a glass of wine. And, and put it there and I'd always point and say that's the end game is somebody enjoying, getting pleasure from taking that sip of wine, from enjoying the flavors, from enjoying the conversation that goes along with it. And then so that team education is, we are all wine growers, we are all wine makers and everything that we do along that step is chasing flavors that'll make somebody happy when they take a sip of that wine we've got a big team out there because farming 2,500 3,000 acres grapes it takes people and then taking those tons and making them into wine and everything is still small lot hands-on one press load at a time just like you guys do at Nottingham you know one tank at a time and we have we have one and a half ton tanks 10 ton tanks 20 ton tanks but it's still each one you're doing it one at a time and making Mm -hmm. thoughtful decisions across it so it's sort of cool to have enough scale to have this playground any given vintage, but also small enough ultimately that the team is pretty tight, right? I have five direct reports, two winemakers, a director of viticulture, a director of engineering maintenance, and a VP of supply chain. So those five of us are really then managing the teams as it goes down and, you know, trying to focus on making world-class wines from world-class estate-grown, sustainably farmed vineyards. Cool. There it
0: is. In relation to those uh, farm estate, you know, estate farm vineyards, you talk about where you've been a little bit in Peter, Michael, Australia, and, you know, um, most of your time here in Livermore. In episode prior with Brandon, he kind of talked about, in terms of like the innovation economy, the tech world, kind of what is our unfair advantage? And it is for tech, it's our relationship to the Bay Area in terms of the talent pool that you're able to attract, right? Right. What is, what would you say Livermore Valley um, as a terroir? As, you know as a, as a wine growing region what is our unfair advantage in comparison to these other regions and experiences and climates that you've you know been, been been in before making wine
2: what is our unfair advantage our unfair advantage is the the same reason that the windmills are up there on the altamont pass it's just an indication of the volume of air that comes in and so we regularly sweep all of the air out of our valley and that comes from the pacific Mark Twain said the coldest winter he ever spent was that summer in San Francisco, and those warm days followed by cool nights. I mean, how many people have come to this valley, it's a 90 degree day, they're like, oh, it's warm, it's nice, and then all of a sudden at nighttime, they're in the same gear, they don't have a sweatshirt to put it on, and it drops down to 58. And that diurnal swing is really one of the awesome things we have, as well as deep alluvial soils, and also some diversity of soils, right? Down by the riverbed and the creeks, dry creeks as they go through, deep gravelly soils. But then there's other spots where you have little bit more clay content and then you go up the hills and you have more of these silty clay loams and so there is some diversity of soils and then what's key and what my Uncle Phil really taught me, and he was taught by generations before him, is make good and darn sure you plant the right varietal in the right location. Mm-hmm. Cabernet Sauvignon hates clay. You keep it away from that. Sauvignon Blanc hates clay. You keep it away from that. They do great in gravel. Petit Syrah, Chardonnay, they don't care as much about clay. And so it's really making sure that you spot up the right varietals in the right locations. Thus, you're giving yourself the best potential the best opportunity then farm the best grapes to then bring them into the winery and again make world-class wines right mm-hmm. that means competing on the world stage first international gold medal of livermore we know it's a phenomenal place to grow grapes now it's all about execution throughout the winery to make the best wine possible mm-hmm. with
0: um with as many skews um as you uh, as you're able to do because of just because of the many places you are do you are you privy to uh, anything particular that you uh, that you make that you do there you're saying, do I have a
2: favorite? Do you, do you I mean, do you have a favorite? Do you have a favorite kid? <laughs> no. Um, I I drink more Chardonnay than anything else overall, and then I have uh, one of those corny wrought iron signs next to my door in my house that says, "Love the wine you're with," mm-hmm. meaning my favorite wine is the wine that's in front of me right now. So right now it's a Pine Ridge Cabernet Franc, is. Napa Valley, 2016, because that's the <laughs> wine I'm with.
0: There it is. Right that on. That inspires me to take a <clears> drink.
2: <away. throat> yeah.
1: Cab Franc is coming up a little bit right now and just kind of as of late in our region. Tell us a little bit about me. I know you have a new uh, block going in down the golf course. Maybe we could talk a little bit about that and uh, maybe how that can kind of spur. Um, One of the things that I've I've always kind of talked about that we need is is kind of that regional identity. And so we've discussed, is that the piece? And just kind of want to get your take on where you feel.
2: Yeah, so then in order to even talk about this, got to tell the little story that I think a lot of people know is that the... Um, South Valley Area Plan, which went in effect about 30 years ago that defined how the South Valley is going to be set up, and then the South Valley Specific Plan, which is a plan from the city of Livermore, and the goal was to have this South Valley in the Tri-Valley Conservancy and the land trust that we have to set up the green belt to conserve that open space and agriculture in the South Valley, and one of the goals of that that are written into those plans is getting to a critical mass of 5,000 acres, Mm -hmm. and right now we're dropping down to about two. And so we're continuing to work as a region and an industry to retain the awesome talent that's here and also bring in some new people that'll want to really understand how awesome of a place Livermore Valley is. And one of the things we want to do is continue to look at what is a place to sort of put our, put our uh, stake in the ground about what's a great varietal and to have a good identity here. Because we do great Chardonnay, our morning fog Chardonnay, up through the $130 bottle of Entry Cabernet, and so it's a wide range and wide diversity of what we can do. But as we look at, okay, what's the next 1,000 acres that are planted? And one of the things that's coming up, and Colin and I talk a lot about it, as well as other winemakers out there, is Cabernet Franc. We do it phenomenally well here, and it's something that the consumer appreciates. It's like a lighter Cabernet, a little bit more like Merlot, but it doesn't have the same fruit-forwardness of Merlot, it brings in a, more, a little bit more herbaceous note to it and sort of almost a love child between Merlot and cab with a little bit of black olive dolloped on top sure. you know something yeah. in there and so I think it's something that we're looking at and <clears throat> we do it really well and then Colin mentioned the The golf course, our our Charles Wetmore single vineyard over there at the golf course, have about a 20-acre block of Cabernet Franc that's really coming into its own. And one of the things we want to do is really make sure that we're sharing that fruit with winemakers throughout the valley. So Colin gets a ton and a half or two tons. Mark up and McGrail gets a ton and a half and two tons. Darcy Kent Vineyard, you know, really getting that out there. And I'm just naming a few. That's not meant to be anywhere near a comprehensive list, but really to showcase the diversity of talent that we have on the winemaking side the diversity of styles that'll come out of it but also really showing
1: hey this is a great place for livermore to hang their hat
0: yeah
1: i think uh kind of ties in a little bit with uh some of the things um when brandon came on brandon cardwell came on talking again about like what they can do to as you know as he approaches other businesses and entices them to come to the region um, being part of the build right building with us so that communal thing is great and also looking forward um you know like we're up at pine ridge and they're talking about how they're throwing in some cabernet down in carneros Mm -hmm. right now because as global warming is affecting climate going forward carneros is warming up um livermore valley has been on the cooling aspect because of our proximity to the ocean those diurnal swings right yep um so cabernet franc not only does well now but like you know performs really well in loire valley and other places too so they're like i think looking at the long term that could really be a nice piece and that like uh, you know planning for that climate change is Absolutely, a real thing that we got to think about. Absolutely, and the the warmer, the warmer the state of California
2: gets, the cooler Livermore gets, and that's the trend because you go to the northern interior, that hot that gets warm, that hot air rises, and then it pulls the cold air in through the Golden Gate Gap, and so we're only five years ago that we finished harvest. What was it like October fifteenth? Yeah, right. And now we're finishing cab on on November tenth. like yeah, that's a sweet. real swing in terms of what we're looking at, and it just has been a little bit cooler. Now we're still getting cab ripe, right, but you go much further right like colin says you might not get cab ripe if we continue to see these swings like this mm-hmm. that said it also depends on what soil it's in and how it goes that i have all the faith in the world that we're going to continue to be able to ripen cab for a while most of for the cabernet sure. vineyards yeah, there's yeah. some yeah you know there's some you go out that have a little too high a clay content they're not right. getting there but is what it is mm-hmm.
1: do you think as we're approaching that i mean thinking about things that uh you know cab franc is a great idea and i like it and we've been tasting cab francs in the region and it feels like there's some some nice quality there for sure right at the end of the day right this is what matters most right um do you yeah i mean i know we can't protect the future do you think that we have is there a home i know darcy kent's playing it a little is there a home for some pinot noir in this region or does that does that dilute the the message even further.
2: Not at all. And I think the diversity of the region that we have is such a key. And when we talk about Livermore Valley, Livermore Valley and is part of the Tri Valley. So you have the Livermore Valley, the Amador Valley, and then the San Ramon Valley. But then the AVA goes from the peak of Mount Diablo at about ninety three hundred feet, follows all along that Altamont Ridge, mm-hmm. comes around down south, comes up through Sonol, picks it up, and then goes up around the the range there on the you <laughs> west side of San Ramon Danville and then so what's key is the Livermore Valley it's a little bit of a misnomer right it really is more about the Highland Valley of off of Mount Diablo and so one of the things we're looking at is calling it Mount Diablo Highlands as really more of a geographically accurate descriptor and then the Livermore Valley shrinking it down to really what is the true watershed of the Livermore Valley and then once you do that and take it away then there are so many cool regions where Pinot Noir can work as you come over then on crane ridge i know that the the triscas and the kent's did put in some pinot noir there on crane ridge Mm -hmm. there's some up at ruby hill as well and so i'm very much excited about it and people say you can't have pinot next to cab like they're not next to each other it's different vineyards and it's getting to the right time the right location so i'm Mm -hmm. about bring it on like let's Mm -hmm. have fun with it because i have had some good pinots and let's be honest that the Knights Valley can be warm, like, oh, and they're doing sure. some good peanuts up River, there. But, Russian River oh, yeah. can be Healdsburg. good. like, so yeah, yeah, like exactly. and they can. It's there's hot. some. It's hot. It's hotter
1: and, in here, for sure.
2: Right, and yeah, they're yeah. doing an okay job of peanuts. So I'm like yeah. embracing, bringing it on. Some people say then you get too spread out, like, but I think we do good. Cabernet Sauvignon, Cabernet Franc, Merlot, Petit Verdot, Malbec, Tempranillo, Trigger National, Trigger Francesca, Suzanne, Marston, and Roussin, and Viognier, Syrah, and so, Grenache, Graciano, Orange Muscat, Muscat, Canelli, Nebbiolo, Sangiovese, Barbera, Zinfandel. <laughs> like, like, we've made all of those, Chardonnay, if I didn't say it, we've made great wines out of all of those varietals right here in the Livermore Valley, so I know it's possible. And then right. you just got to execute, know how you want to farm those grapes, then know how you want to make the wine, and try and be true to your location, mm-hmm, yeah. right? Don't try and chase anyone yes. else. Loire, it's awesome. Sancerre, I love it. Chablis, love it. It's not here. You can borrow things, steal yeah. things in terms of the creative process, but you got to be who you are. And that's what's mm-hmm. really cool about having people come in and appreciate the vineyards, appreciate the diversity of what we have and then having a fun creative point of view, like I want to take this fruit and make wine in this style. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This
0: conversation mm-hmm. has been a little interesting, right? Cuz we've often Found ourselves comparing ourselves to Napa because Napa is wine and hospitality Hollywood for you know for all intents and purposes right. But when we start drawing the picture like this, you start talking about regions like Sonoma and Loire Valley who are you know exactly what their region gives them versus like oh well you have to be cab because you're comparing yourself to Napa right now. We open up the conversation for
1: what we truly can be you know best at. Um, which is in you know, napa uh, valley is cab but like they're thinking about the future too yeah. for sure like people are throwing charbono back in the ground like thinking about you know bringing back some of the old you mm-hmm. know field blends and things like that i mean not in mass it's still cab country for sure i mean and then yeah throwing cabernet and carneros mm-hmm. right that's been pinot and chard pretty much dominant for, for, as, for long as, as long as we've long, known yeah. it right
0: as, so. a f- as a farmer can you kind of can you speak to what that process Looks like. What does that take operationally um, as a farmer
2: to like start prepping for? All right. Well, if we're gonna be Cab Franc, let's do it. If what does that what does that look like? So it's just one decision at a time, right, as it comes up, and you know. So as you go through the state right now, there's probably going to be more vineyard, more acres of vineyards pulled out than any other time in history. Yeah. And then so are we immune to it? No, you go through the Livermore Valley and there's piles of those vines and there are older vines that are gonna be cleaned up, gone away, you let it sit fallow and then you make a decision about what goes back in. And then so every time you replant a vineyard, it is a big decision, right? There should be a 30 year asset. Right. It's like, you know, buying a house, you're gonna be in that house for 30 years, you better, it better work, right? And then so when that comes in, so every opportunity is a chance to sort of think about what is our identity, what is the future going to hold, and who the hell knows what people are going to be wanting to drink in 25 years. Right. But at the same time, it's what works well, what are the consumers looking for, what are the psalms looking for, but very importantly, what's yummy, right? What's making yeah. what good wines? Well. What do yeah. we make well? And so, and I think we make well across a wide range, which to the point I think you're making earlier, Colin, is that doesn't... That, that makes it too broad, like what is an identity market, or something, it's right. tough in the market, and so. Um, but ultimately, so as we're going in, right, I planted that new Cabernet vineyard at the Wetmore Vineyard, but then also at Crane Ridge, right at the corner of Greenville and Tesla. That's going into some Cab Franc as well.
1: That was Chardonnay before, right?
2: That was Chardonnay before, right? Right. Okay. And so it's like every little baby step, you got a chance to make a decision and choose what you want to put in, and now really leaning more for a Cab Franc. Even had them put in some Grüner Veltliner, I think is the first going in in the valley. Beautiful floral. But, you know basically i look at gruner as almost a love child between riesling and pinot grigio yeah. right something in there where it has a little bit more flavor to it than a pinot grigio but it's certainly not as floral and over the top as riesling where are you guys putting it crane ridge as well
0: nice nice yeah
2: you know, so with each nice. of those and then some more some sauvignon sauvignon Musqué, you know sauvignon muskay cone Con. Con and sec. so that's just the answer the question like it just it's it's generational and you don't mm-hmm. get a lot of opportunities to plant and you hope you don't make mistakes. But if you do, you, you can graft, you can do some other things there, but it's way better to make the right decision at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Of,
1: of all the stuff that's been ripped out, do you have uh, I mean, like what's the, the, side to side is a little different, but is everything like, okay, cool, in five years, there's a plan for every block so far, or is there still some time to think about things? and decision? still some time to think about things, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Cool. And
2: it's just, and that's part of it, of you don't have to make a decision until you do. So right now thinking, Greg, and yeah. what's out there and what our mix is. But ultimately, I think you will continue to see some more Cab Franc going in because for sure. it's a place to be. In Mount Diablo Highlands, Cab Franc, we
1: want everyone in the world to say, do you have one on your list? Have That's... you had one lately? Are you enjoying it? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. To the point you made earlier of keeping people creative, like having the diversity to grow, little bits of this and that, and have some other things is, is huge, especially on the hospitality front. Like it's tough to come in and like for the average wine drinker, have them enjoy six cab francs from six vineyards, right? Yeah. But if if X winery from Livermore or Mount Diablo Highlands is putting out thirty thousand cases of cab franc, and then they do twenty thousand cases of small lot stuff direct to consumer, that's a nice that's a nice place to be, a nice sustainable right. place to be for everybody. Absolutely. So I think there is definitely potential for it. Um, the, the quality of wines too, at the core, what you're talking about earlier, like we the tasting the other day was thought fairly positive right you know um we've well, had some of those tastings where we walked away let's well, let's 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 on. indeed
0: talk about that because that's exactly where i wanted to go with it you, you i mean there's been some collaboration lately people getting together tasting talking more um can you just speak to where this most recent surge of energy is headed kind of what's what's the focus of it between particularly winemakers and in, in the valley here
2: yeah sure <laughs> the, <laughs> go for uh, it well so the you know we continue to look as a region and identity and the Livermore valley wine growers association recently set up a subcommittee a strategic subcommittee and it's been fun a lot of cool good people on that subcommittee heather mcgrail uh, Stephen mirasu my sister christine wenty von mech myself and that's just to name a few i don't want to leave everybody out three steves larry dino and the likes and so then we, from there we broke it down into into four different groups. One of them is the government affairs and the name change talking about what we should be calling our appellation. Another one is just overall and that's that's chaired by me. Another one is just overall marketing and strategy chaired by Heather McGrail. Another one and the very important is the quality and authenticity committee, and that's chaired by Stephen Kent Mirasu. And then the last one is the, just looking at additional revenue sources, whether it's a business improvement district or whether it's changing how you're looking at the dues structure. And that's chaired by my sister, Christine, who's also on the board of directors of the California Wine Institute. So very happy to have those four people leading those committees. And then as part of the Quality Alliance, really leaning in on that. So we as a industry of winemakers and wine knowledgeable people, and Colin knows that I like to say it's in church. The, the, a lot of people talk about wine, but very few people understand, sort of just like church. That's my my sort of cynical look at it. And, and we want to get those people that know wine, that are trained in winemaking and wine to sort of self-police and judge ourselves. Peer pressure is the best kind of pressure out there because there's times where, again, we're – growing better grapes and the resultant wine comes out. And now there's a lot of wines that are absolutely phenomenal, phenomenally awesome and we wanna to continue to educate and make ourselves better with that regional identity as it comes up and comes through. And so we've had a lot of tastings lately and then also looking at hiring uh, AVA enologist, So someone that's gonna work within the valley to help put the right people together, the right analysis at the right time or the right equipment. You might need this press over here, this tank over here to make sure that we're leveraging the opportunity right after you pick those grapes you have this window of time to execute and get the job done and then also as part of that we're doing just continual education on the phenolics and phenolics are just a class of molecules that give wine its color and its texture and then so how those things intermingle like in your mouth and intermingle with each other mm-hmm. how you build those phenolics into the resultant wine really happens during harvest or i mean excuse me during that fermentation and now we're able to use tools where we're able to just analyze these molecules just like we've we analyzed for sugar or analyze the acidity of the wine where you can just say how are you doing mm-hmm. to then affect how you're managing that red fermentation because it's all about the temperature it's about how long you leave it in there time it's about how much you mix it as it comes through and then what other additives you add because we can ferment it in oak or on oak we can from you know there's different tools you have Mm -hmm. what yeast are you using what's your acidity i mean all of these choices right it's just this continuum of little micro choices that you make and it's really us as an industry, as a group of winemakers and grape growers continuing to leverage the knowledge pool and all make each other better in that pursuit of the world-class wines. It's a world-class grape growing region and continuing to make world-class wines with a world-class point of view. Mm -hmm. For sure. That was a long-winded answer to that question, wasn't it? That was
1: the answer, right? Um, Yeah, and I want to say thank you as of, you know, I mean, especially the last couple years, like, taking the leadership to to get people educated on the phenolic side of things. We had the opportunity um, myself and a couple other winemakers four or five years back to kind of get that you know one fire hose yeah, of information yeah, yeah the, the, the two hour like holy shit what just happened and then now i've had like a couple vintages to like get my head around it and then most recently last year that real-time data during fermentation it's huge yeah it was huge um you know going back to this regional maturity thing which is which has been the thing that's most exciting for me is this quality council getting off the ground kind of educating the mat like the rest of the wine community here yeah on those things so like even the feedback we've gotten recently from a handful of guys that maybe were not so you know into it before or a little concerned about kind of taking that next plunge and you know and just being real about where you're at and accepting some things for what they are real data numbers help tell that story right all right cool accept and make changes and and we all get better right yeah and
2: it's just still we it's still a old old world trade right we still have our point of view we still have our style but i have had a lot of good one-on-one meetings and or group meetings over the last couple of weeks with um, Steve Berman from Three Steves, with Larry Dino, with Mark Claren, with uh, Steve Mirisu, with Colin Craner right? I mean, it's just sitting down with everyone and talking them through of just these are tools, right? Yeah. They're tools. You still, your nose and your mouth and your gut is still the best tools sure. we have right that but at the same time then you use other tools out there and there's analysis which people have been doing forever and then there's the organoleptics and the tasting and that what it tastes like is still the most important part of all of this but yeah. we can always improve towards Perfection, which is an aspirational place to be with wine, never a place you get to, Mm -hmm. right? And a winemaker's job's never done. Sometimes we got to bottle it, like today, right? Now you're done. Like that ship sailed. There's nothing you can do. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So with that. And so it's been cool. Like there's a lot of good energy in the valley right now. And we just want to keep that momentum rocking and rolling. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah it's uh for me like uh, uh, we we took a step back from the wine growers association a couple years ago and did so fairly loudly honestly um i heard (laughs) uh tried to i mean but at the same time like i want to think that it helped kind of kick some of these things up a little bit in terms of getting everyone at least take a step and back and look inward and kind of like realize where we are as a region because to your point we've said it and like the thing that keeps us motivated every single day it's like we know that we have awesome potential right yeah. our world-class world-class wine growing potential is constant like that never changes through whatever whatever we decide you know Cab Franc Cab Soft Chardonnay whatever like happens to end up landing as our focus um, we can do those things really really well it's just getting everybody on board with that communal vision communal voice and that's mm-hmm. uh. It, this is the best the valleys felt for sure, and I'd say well, since I've been here twelve right. years, yeah, absolutely.
2: And so it's fun, exactly doing those tastings you're talking about. Were you at the Cab Franc tasting? Yeah. Sorry, I'm blanking on the. No, Done no, so no, many no. tastings late. So we <laughs> had the, uh, we had a Cabernet Sauvignon tasting that we went through with a bunch of winemakers, and a Cab Franc tasting that we went through. And so the Cab saw we didn't do blind, but it was sort of that process that went through it, and then the Cab Franc we did blind, which is a great way to go because you know, sure, everyone's thinking, I wonder if that's my wine. You're trying to judge and like. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's a better way to go because you you just get to, you know, be blind and uh, be blind to what it is, not have your preconceived notions coming in. And then we're taking the wines back and analyzing them and you can analyze the phenolics as well, as well as the pH, the T A, the residual sugar, the VA, the mallet. I mean there's there's tools that you have out there but being able to look at the color, the tannin, and see what those numbers are, and then calibrate that against your palate. So as soon as we're done here, as soon as the camera clicks off, we can do it even with the cameras on, the mics on, is going over the numbers from the taste. Oh, did I already send them to you? I got the cab Oh, I got the once. cab, okay. I forgot that I sent them to you, but right, that yeah. tells such a compelling story. Yeah. Right, of what's there, and there's
1: people that are like hey, we
2: kicking. We can talk about them if, we want, if we need to. Let me pull our shit for them. Yeah. Kicking them out of the park. Yeah, we can leave. I mean, but ultimately it's- <laughs> At the end of the
1: day. Cab Franc, Cab Soft, Saukow Vineyard is a is a fucking performer, man. It's a performer. All both of them are performers. But yeah. there's
2: other, you know, other vineyards out there no, as yeah, well, Smith right? And performing. But I think yeah. it's the group of wineries that are performing, right? And Nottingham's right up there with it. McGrail's right up there with it where they're Wenty, I'm giving myself a pat on the back where we're we're getting the, we're extracting and getting the, leveraging the potential of the fruit, Mm -hmm. right? You don't want too much goodness to go out back to the field to be composted, right? You want it in that glass of wine. Mm -hmm. And we know when we send those red grapes off to the field, they're still red. Like there's always more goodness in there. And some people make great creams out of it. You can have (laughs) pharmaceuticals out of it. There's so many good molecules still in there, like antioxidants. You can make like antioxidant pills out of that stuff if you want to you know like so we know it's there but it's all about getting the best of the goodness out of it that you can yeah. and it's been fun to watch you colin because of the the arc of the change yeah right of just like game over Fif- over the yeah, last 14
1: to 15 vintage it went like yeah it was just like you could see it like if you if i did a vertical right now you could look at the wines and be like oh something changed this year right for sure and
2: yeah. mine was 12 to 13 of yeah. really that change year of learn something that you can never unlearn for sure right nth of late you're like you pull that in, like it, it feels different oh uh, yeah right it's it. just yeah. where it's happy and you still right the pursuit and the nth degree i love that name because there's always n plus one mm-hmm. right you're never home like you're always pursuing the best wine, this ideal wine, this sort of state of being, if you will, but you're never there, and so it's always about what else that you can do, but it's fun when you have those step functions where you're like, okay, I know there's room to improve, I know there's room to improve, and then you figure out sort of what it is, and fundamentally what it is, it's about managing the temperature of the fermentation and how you mix the fermentation, right? And so it's not even like it's rocket science, but you do need the tools Tools, to to, to get that done, and I think more and more people have the tools, more and more people are embracing what it is, You still have your stylistic choice, because that's some of the pushback that you'll get. If people like, well, I want to make it my wine, my way. Like, rock on, do it. Yeah. Would you rather have this beautiful, rich, awesome color or something that's not, that's a lighter? And if you want lighter, like, drink some Pinot, drink some Beaujolais, drink even go to Merlot, Cab Franc lighter than Cab, but still. This Cab Franc is no joke. Yeah, this,
1: right? is, this, is, this is cab
2: density. It's cab density, <laughs> right? And it shows, and it's beautiful, right? It's fun on your mouth. Like, it feels good. You've got an herbal texture to it. Yeah, there's a little bit of oak there. The oak is beautifully integrated, you know? So that's just a yummy, nice wine. And if this was a Cabernet, you'd say the same thing, right? It has that density to it. Mm-hmm. Right. You, you breezed over it, but I do, we, I mean, we do want to talk about
0: nth degree. Um, you know, people know Wenty as the Wenty name, Wenty labels on the bottle, but there's a special bottle, special labeling, which is the nth degree, and kind of the, those are indeed the things that you're opening and bringing to these tastings and whatnot. But can you just speak to what inspired crafting that new label, that new brand, elevating the valley, the region, and Wenty?
2: Yeah, so I got back to the winery in May of 02, and so getting geared up for the 02 vintage was my first at home. I had two vintages in before that one at Peter Michael and then one in Australia. And when I got back home the charter my charter was to make wine as good as any in the region right got a humble family that coaches and teaches humility i'd say you want to be the best now i want to be as good as i want colin to be the best and mark claren to be the best and julian and darcy kent to be the best and Ocasio to be i want everyone to be the best but i want to be as good as any of our region and then so We weren't doing a lot of small lots, not too much of our direct-to-consumer business, not too much of the wine club. And so my goal is just to set out and work with our long-term vineyard manager, our long-term winemakers, and choose the best vineyard blocks that we have, that have been the best performing and then on the winery side get some equipment a small crusher a sorting table some smaller fermentation bins the best barrels money can buy right you know that the best French oak ain't cheap and it's not to yeah. say it's all French oak because Syrah I like yeah. it better at American oak right and then Hungarian some Czech Republic some Russian oak and really that experimentation but the charter was make wine as good as any and spare no expense, right? And so my Uncle Phil came into the office one day, and after the 02 Vintage, we're like, okay, what are we going to do with these wines? Okay, well, we're gonna, we want to bottle them and showcase what Livermore Valley can be. And Uncle Phil comes into the office one day and said, you know, Carl's out there doing everything to the nth degree trying to make the best wine, grow the best grapes, make the best wine. Why don't we just call this the nth degree by Wente Vineyards? There you go. It just makes sense, right? And mm-hmm. again, that N plus one, like one of the names we looked at was pursuit, mm-hmm. which I think was taken, but that pursuit tells the same story For in sure. that you're never home. And I say it and I mean it, right? The day that I lose a passion and a pursuit about growing better grapes and making better wine, they should put someone else in my seat, right? Of that's the, that's the excitement and the mm-hmm. pursuit as it goes. And then back to the region itself, it's fun that, uh, like that conversation I had with Steve Berman of Three Steves, of he had said, and he admitted, he's like, God, I sort of lost the pursuit a little bit. But now after these conversations, like the pursuit is back. I am so excited about the vintage. I want the grapes to get here as soon as you can. And that's the excitement. And anytime a winemaker... Loses that excitement about harvest. We know we're going to lose some sleep. and We know we're yeah. going to be a little sore. We know we're going to get calluses from tri clovers. We know we're going to all of those things. But the day you lose the excitement about those grapes coming through, step aside because someone's still excited.
1: Yeah, yeah. that was uh, that's. Uh, I know. I got I got the text after uh, and, and a call from Berman. It was great. You know, just he's like, man, I just. It's like the light clicked. It's like the first time you learned. You know, something. Yeah, well, the first time you stepped into a cellar. Right. right it takes you back to that that same kind of feeling when you kind of wrap your head around the, the phenolic <laughs> pursuit right and understanding and, and, what know, that means and why
0: right to that point you know we, we talk about all the facets of hospitality food and beverage wine and you know what it takes but like you know one of the things we talk about more than anything is the community right and it takes just a, a community of excited progressive minds to keep that energy because we all have a bad day right sure. but it, you know what, what's dope is when i show up to work and colin's like colin's fired up right and it's like you know pick your ass up we got shit to do like you know and that's that's what it's going to take and that's kind of the energy that is being rekindled um, between everyone, be it winemaker, psalm, buyer, um, sale, like you know, that's the that's the energy that we're kind of feeling in it. Yeah it feels it's
2: awesome to see
1: it's, it's awesome great to see. i know that ripping out vineyards has got to be you know gut-wrenching a little bit as a landowner um
2: a little bit but sometimes it's time to move on right mm-hmm. and it was an old block of sauvignon blanc it was an old block of chardonnay sure. and you just like move on mm-hmm. and it, you
1: you so get visual, excited about the future that's exactly yeah. what i was going to say it's like i'm driving by and i'm just like damn right there with like what else you know what yeah. else can what help could be, everybody what or what can else be yeah, yeah. exactly right that's the so, yeah.
0: so, um Changing gears a little bit, gentlemen. We're we're we're, do- we're doing well so far. A name that we talk about often, um, the one and only uh, Julio Cobreobius. Uh, we've, Julio. you know, yeah, everyone's kind of had a chance to talk about him. Um, Nikki came on, on last season, talked about him a little bit, but who's Julio to you? Um, what, what, you know, what's your Julio
2: story? What's the craziest shit Julio's ever said to you? Um, you know. <laughs> Don Julio is what I call him, uh, Don Julio. And so he's been with my family now, 46 vintages, mm-hmm. 46 vintages, I'm, a- <laughs> I'm 42, right? And so, and. About 10 years ago, I was walking through and I think I've well, I don't know if it's, I ain't been on y'all's podcast, so I haven't said it here. So but, you know, been I've said this many a times because it was such a such a compelling, like the same thing you talked about where you can't unhear what you just <laughs> yeah. heard. And then so I was uh, giving people, giving people a tour, showing off what we do and, you know, showing my passion and my excitement. And Julio's with me and I'm talking about Julio. And this is 10 years ago. And it's like, and he has 35 vintages with my family with the same grapes having a passion about quality he owns his own piece of property right now just adjacent to our property where he's farming a lot of different varietals I know a lot of them go into the Nottingham program calling partners with him very well and I was just like it's so crazy to me 35 years this guy's been doing this and he looks at the group and he says in his way he goes but don't forget that means I've only done it 35 times <laughs> and I stopped I'm like Oh, that's so true. You get one chance a year Mm -hmm. with a vineyard. Mm -hmm. Choose how to prune, choose how to shoot thin, to choose how to leaf, to choose what cluster thinning you wanna do, to choose when you pick. Can't put those things back on the vine. Then to choose your fermentation temperature, to choose all of it. And I was like, wow, that I'll never forget. You get one chance. So That's that's a Julio line. So you think about the chef, the chef's gonna cook the meal maybe hundred times before it hits the floor of the restaurant maybe not that many but like a bunch right you can turn and you can play and you can go but with grapes you get one chance a year and then another story about julio is my best friend got married at my house, out in front of my house. I live right over by Marietta's Wall Winery, up close on the Mel Ranch, close to the Sacal Vineyard and Julio was a great help to just getting all this done. Right? I'm feeding 200 people, we're cooking ourselves, we got two whole pigs and two whole goats nice. and like did this great meal, buried the two pigs, flayed the goats out on the on the grill and I just brought a, you know, hired a buddy but who's a chef, brought him in and we're doing as much as we can ourselves, just lean and mean and Julio's always a great help like i'm like hey julio i just need help in this and he was just there all the way through and so after the wedding day after the wedding on sunday where the bride and groom are off on the honeymoon i bring some old bottles some old three liters and some really cool stuff over to julio's house as a thank you Mm -hmm. just like you saved me like you made that go thank you so much and uh His beautiful wife, Marta, who I've known my whole life as well, Marta says, oh, no, Carl, you must come in. You must come in and eat. And she had this lamb stew that was just great. She's like, you must. I'm like, no, I have rounds. I got to get stuff done. I got to get stuff done. She said, no, you must. when the, you, you got it right <laughs> at that point you got to and then julio says well then you must have a glass of wine now we're talking I'm like ah, okay so now i'm sitting down with this beautiful stew and a glass of wine i think it was a petite sera off of casa de Menos off of julio's vineyard and down, and i take one bite and the heat was crazy <laughs> <laughs> and but i gotta go yeah right so i don't have a lot of time and I know I got to finish this, right? So this is like mind over matter over the pain. And then so and it makes it so the red wine hurts. Yeah, right? So but shit. I'm oh. drinking the red wine too and I'm getting through it but the flavor is awesome. But so I'm getting through it and then like about halfway through like I'm sweating and crying and and there and then I'm trying to like hide it, wipe my face and the likes and just get through it and then Marta looks over at me and she goes, oh Carl, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And it's like it's, it's Totally cool, Marta. And then Julio looks over at me. He's like, This is like
1: salad to me. <laughs>
2: <laughs> this is like As I'm crying.
1: <laughs> Julio's the best, man. He's always just got the the perfect line for the situation, right. dude. Like, he's, uh, yeah. He, he's got a few on me. He's yeah, like, that yeah. Is, dude, dude. Yeah. Uh, all, fuck that was a great story. That was great. I love, love it, it. I man. love it, that's Julio, <laughs> man. That's terroir right there.
0: Right? That's, that's terroir right there. All right. Oh, do you have a. Do you have, do you two have any Julio uh, basement uh, wine, wine stories? I've been down there. Yeah, N- none together though. For sure, none together. So. No. Yeah,
1: none together. Oh, man. Julio has uh, actually. You were there for the Julio saved us from rolling down the embankment up, going up to soccer. That was the first
0: time I met Julio after hearing just like legendary stories about him. Yeah, and he shows up like a superhero,
1: superhero. Him and Ted literally stood on the edge of the ridge and like held the truck from sliding <laughs> off while I backed out. Like, it was it was it was fresh off some rain. I shouldn't have been up there. It, yeah. I, I tried calling you and sent you like a frantic text of like words that didn't make sense and you just sent me a question mark. <laughs> by that time, I have Jul- no idea what by that time, Julio had, had, had like, helped us. He, yeah, he, no, he... Dude, Julio is, is he? yeah, he's a part of Livermore Valley for sure. I mean, just like you said, 46 vintages. But, like, his imprint, there's other... people. I, I, yeah, he's, he's I just, really
0: love the piece about how he's i've only done it though 35 times like when you right. that makes you like He'll tell you the same thing now i've only done it 46. You know? but, it, but he, like yes that's true but like 46 the, is a shitload actually it's a yeah. shitload but yeah. it's still just it's not God a damn oh you know, yeah that pursuit that's i really like that i'm gonna retell
1: that story one day here soon in some capacity um also uh for those just listening not watching uh we kept referencing carl's drawing so we'll make sure we uh post a picture on the social media <laughs> of just the yeah the mount diablo highlands and then uh just the, the in, inside the mine i love i love how the pen goes to the paper when yeah. you're just see, thinking uh, it out
0: and crafted see. a three-dimensional uh, topographical uh mount diablo highlands photo that well,
2: will be unambiguous everyone will know exactly <laughs> what that is right <laughs> oh that's um, great so i want to show this one because like, i've had so many had so many of these meetings and just talking through and you guys see that i do uh Talk with it. <laughs> this is, is. Oh, this yeah. is this is my Steve Berman. <laughs> is that a robot, Berman? <laughs> no. So this is this is a temperature curve, a fermentation temperature curve. Oh yeah. yeah. This okay. is an anthocyanin bumping into a tannin and yeah. making a bound anthocyanin. This is a tank that is being mixed or pumped over. Okay. okay. And this is a hot and cold d- quick disconnects and this is a little glycol heater so you can heat up the the ferment yeah, as you're going through. Yeah. And this is a w- this is a wood box and a fermenter which was what the tools that I had, not the wood box but just a chip colder fermenter from 2002 okay. through through 2012. And then so it makes perfect sense so when you go through it is, like that. This is, right? And then so this is how, like, if you can heat up that fermenter early as it goes through and to get there. Mm-hmm. So I have that one as my chicken scratch crazy. <laughs> and then here's my one with Larry Dino. Uh, of... Uh, <laughs> did, 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 did. It is <laughs> right, <laughs> it's, it's, and then so the same. So like there it is, and this is you know the quality matrix, and this is your analysis versus your again leptics, and then uh, that's the the Tao. Like Lord, grant us the wisdom to know what we can control and what we can't. <laughs> And uh, and then that's the infinity to pull it all together. So I definitely just like <laughs> that's That's the new, so you, do you save all those pieces? Cause that'll be a book one day. Yeah, no, I do a little maybe, <laughs> yeah. like I'd save these, but these, the little notebook, like I keep with me and like I draw what's in my mind and just go through. But inevitably, like every time at the end, it hits the laundry and it oh, gets destroyed yeah. and then yeah. i get pissed and i was like well it's, it's gone Recreate. honestly
1: i, I used to, i i do the same thing now i just take like a big stack of computer paper and if i really need it i take a picture right because right. i lose yeah no so posts. many notes but yeah yeah right. oh. there, there's another on the fermentation
2: curve and then talking about ph right where you can make it at three 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 six three nine and you can do it It just have to be of a stylistic point of view again that fermentation temperature curve this one was with robert fiore who works for uh, larry dino at cuda ridge mm-hmm.
1: he's he, he's a sharp guy he's a sharp guy i like having him yeah well we were
0: talking about the images i mean let's kind of break it down for the people listening as well i mean what we're talking about is we're kind of talking about that that mid palette that carl spoke to earlier the anthos can you kind of speak to that graph and just some of these new data that we are presenting to winemakers the community that will help elevate the not only the style but just the consistency what we're doing here so we can press for regional identity.
2: Yeah, I mean ultimately it's just utilizing some of the tools, you know, I went to I went to graduate school at UC Davis, got two masters and one while I was there I did a thesis research project in Doug Adams lab and Doug Adams lab was was looking at what he called them large polymeric pigments small polymeric pigments and then monomeric and so color of anthocyanin it's just one molecule but then it can bump into tannins and when it bumps into tannins it forms a stable color and that stable color is Mm non-bleachable with so2 it's non-browning so it doesn't oxidize so this beautiful color in this cab franc this will be beautiful like this is four years old but look at how nice it is and if we have this in another 10 years the three of us know that it's going to hold up like it's going to change right Yeah. yeah it'll brown up but it's still like you know it has that structure to continue to go through and so then it's really looking, so it's looking, so anthocyanin is the name of the game, and that's the color, and then tannin, and then bound anthocyanin. And so really the goal is to build this bound anthocyanin because it's the largest, it's the single biggest indicating factor of mid mouth of mid palate in a wine and mid palate in a red wine that's the holy grail right you want it to feel good and whether it's pinot or it's the biggest cab Mm -hmm. you want it to feel good and even with a pinot you're trying to build a mid palate it's just a way smaller mid palate Mm -hmm. than it is with uh with cabernet Mm -hmm. and then so it's really that chasing that bound anthocyanin number and how do you build that first in the vineyard in terms of growing good fruit developing a color and then in the fermenter to get that bound anthocyanin number to come up Mm -hmm. because that's going to to be an indication that this is a luscious feel good wine, Mm -hmm. right? I'm assuming we've all had a wine where you almost feel like you're biting into the bad part of a walnut, Mm -hmm. right? Just sort of that bitter, like, ah, it doesn't feel good. Like it could be tannic or something where you're like, oh my gosh, I need a glass of water. I need to get some cheese or I need to get some bacon in my mouth to have that fat sort of wash out. Mm -hmm. And that's too tannic and rustic and doesn't have that mid palate that comes through. So that just becomes a holy grail of it. And winemakers forever would say, yes, the mid-palate is the holy grail. I mean, one of the first things Colin and I talked about is that the holy grail of the mid-palate. And uh, so now it's just having some of these analytical tools to be able to look at it immediately. And this is using chemometric. So it's the whole UV vis spectrum. um, And you run it through a spectrophotometer. So that's going across all wavelengths. And it's going to be able to So you just put it in and it just runs it through and then it'll spit out these numbers that are actionable, right that are an indication of what it is. So it's not doing wet chemistry right there. You're not running through an HPLC, high pressure liquid chromatograph or GCMS grass, gas chromatography, mass spectroscopy, I mean, all these tools that are out there that big old expensive labs have wine industry doesn't really so this becomes a really simple tool mm-hmm. that you can get the immediate information so now every fermenter every day i'm running out of space on my beautiful piece of paper here <laughs> we got more for you but every fermenter every day we're running those numbers mm-hmm. that are helping us make decisions in terms of when to press for the right tannin level Maybe. in terms of pump in terms of how many pump <clears throat> over sometimes we'll do three or four volumes a day and sometimes we'll do a half a volume a day mm-hmm. right and then the temperature as well of what. you set your jacket because you can either set it to warm it up or to cool it off and so all those things it's just another tool in the tool bag
1: yeah the real time during fermentation this year on cab was was game changing makes it tough to think about not doing that right honestly and uh like you said like it just becomes part of your daily routine on those lots that are ripping as you like all right cool yesterday the day before today seeing that curve real time deciding how you what what work orders you write out for the day how you're gonna attack each ferment and then knowing that like all right cool I'm up against like I'm gonna be pressing between the next 18 and 36 hours and really honing in on that I mean it's it's uh
0: it was a. it was insane it was really cool to be able to sit in on that meeting that we had in the lab and then you know it's one thing to just talk about these and see the numbers and see the graphs and then you know you like you know we're in the trade you understand the point of it, but then being able to bring out six, seven wines, you know, one at 275, 1200, one at 312, 1100, blah, 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 and quite literally taste. I love that
2: you're able to quote
0: those numbers and know what it means, <laughs> yeah. right? But it's. And and, and, it's... and be able to taste them and be like, ah. Oh. Ah. Oh, oh, that's exactly. Yeah. So it's, and, 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 you know, for those listening, it's, it's, what we're talking about is why we love, particularly, you know, these big Bordeaux, these Cab Cab Francs, but, you know, as you talk about the Merlots, that mid palate it's what, you know, that luscious stuff. Um, wine should be comfortable right it should be a nice little ride we're supposed
1: Um, to enjoy it right right. so like everybody you know like we all get it caught up in it like we you know we like acid we like high-tuned acidity we like raciness Mm -hmm. Um, which is all good but but i like mid-palate if i'm gonna have a big old wine right and and Mm -hmm. like i don't like there's like you can do both that's the cool thing about it is like there's always been this like oh well to get those rich dense flavors you need to be super high ph no you don't nope um, you can like, yeah, literally your pH is your decision and that's different than this, anal- and then this phenolics, for those listening
0: things. who have never heard of a pH, what's
2: a, what's a pH spark note and, and why is that important? Negative log base 10 of the proton ion
1: concentration and solution. <laughs> um, woo, yeah. Well, so pH and acidity on a more basic level, <laughs> pH and acidity is going to like basically dictate um oh god ph uh, is an analog
2: for acidity and it really yeah, so acidity It yeah. an acid H- how- becomes an acid because it has that hydrogen proton that can come off of it and that's what tickles your tongue so to speak mm-hmm. and then so it really is just a measure of the concentration of how much the acidity the ta the titratable or total acidity of how much tongue-tingling ability it has like right? that's sort of the the and, best like layman's term
1: yeah and within that uh ta there's multiple titratable acidities and they all feel a little different too and there's different processes to alter those things as well but yeah yep yeah yeah Whew. mouthfeel you guys you got that you got yeah. you guys got that
2: everybody listeners negative <laughs> log base 10 of the proton concentration right? in solution
0: all right well let's just take a breath here maybe take a sip um i'm going to change the uh, i'm going to ch- i'm going to change where we're headed i'm going to change the trajectory a little bit and bring it a little more uh you know out of the valley into right into downtown um okay so this episode is will be released today as you're listening to it on monday the second of March make sure you get out and vote tomorrow day to do it you got a day to do it make sure you get out and vote and that's exactly what we want to get to there's many things that you should be uh, you know get yourself um, informed about but we want to talk about Measure P um, and just kind of the importance of it and I you know kind of the the question I want to lead with
2: is Carl what is the what is the value of tourism Value of tourism, um, from the arts standpoint, from the restaurant standpoints, from the wine standpoints, from the music standpoints, so was obviously part of the arts. It's, it, it helps, it helps a great deal. And so you look at in the wine industry, the guest check average goes up fourfold if people spend the night. Mm -hmm. They spend the night, they're gonna go out to dinner, they might have another glass of wine, they might go see a show, they wake Mm -hmm. up in the morning, they might do some walking down your main street and take a look, that helps the shops, the local merchants. Um, So it is mission critical to be able to have have people be able to come and stay here and then sort of go to enjoy Rusty's, go to enjoy the uh, Simply Fondue with Alden and his fam, um, to enjoy the awesome restaurants, Uncle Yu's downtown, or whether you go over to Terra Mia on East Avenue, I mean, just like there's, it's bringing in outside people, it's showcasing what we're doing, it's helping to build the wine clubs, our wine club memberships, and uh, so high tide raises all ships. Mm -hmm. And then another one in terms of what does tourism do, I got uh, we got a call from the Wine Spectator. I'm sure anybody that's into wine might have heard of that publication. The Wine Spectator said Who's we, uh, <laughs> we want to get together with uh, want to get together with Carl and talk about what's going on because my family has an incredible history with chardonnay the wenty clone of chardonnay makes up 75 percent of all plantings of california chardonnay go through that have a good sit down with the writer and talking it through and then he calls back and he goes well the editors the editor said they don't want to run the story because Livermore valley is not a true wine country destination because you don't have a wine country hotel or a resort hotel so they pulled the story like we're an awesome place to go graves. I said, you know, so it just like mm-hmm. completes that sort of essence of being bringing people in and the likes. And so they been working very hard getting that hotel downtown built. Yes on Measure P. Yes on Measure P. Mm-hmm. Yes on Measure P because It's gonna help. It's gonna help the merchants. It's gonna help everybody. Well,
0: you know, playing doubles advocate, what about the congestion though? What about my parking spot there?
2: Yeah, I mean, as a well, you don't park next to the bank head because (laughs) that's full all the time. And the city engineer said like, We don't have a parking problem in Livermore. We do have a little bit of a walking problem. Now I'm compassionate. Both my mom and my grandmother have permanent ADA placards in their cars. Like, and it's tough. Like my grandma walks like Yoda, right? Where she puts the cane out, takes a step, two steps, puts the cane out, takes two steps. Like going to dinner with there she will. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that was was the line of this podcast. Um, But so like going downtown with my grandma, like it's a slow process. Like some compassion about the parking, but right across the street. At the, at the i street garage there there's a lot of spots and that's going to be extended there's a lot of spots so you can go right there you walk right across the street and you're at the bankhead you're at the last word you're at the plaza right there you're at uh the Paxis pizza you're at the um the come on, what's it Rusty's called? Rusty's right soft. across the street. Yeah, soft, yeah. Right. Rusty's yeah. right across Everything. the street. Um, Everything's the, there, right? Yeah. So, yeah. The press. So we have there's plenty of space, right? And those are going to say, "Well, lost parking spaces." No, we haven't. Like, but they say where we need them most, which is right on North Livermore. But you. You go to the other side of where Stockman's Park's gonna be, there's parking. You go to I Street, there's parking. There's gonna be an LSD garage. So hear what you're saying? And then congestion, like it's gonna take it. I think the study said it's gonna take it from like a 11 second average delay to an 18 second average delay. That went up 80%. Mm -hmm. Now, but it went to 18 seconds. Like sometimes it takes a little time to go to cool places. Can you imagine if it took 18 seconds to get through places in San Francisco at times? Good right good yeah. you get to stop and
1: look at what's there
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, that's what i think about your devil's advocate <laughs> yeah i mean we're talking about building a downtown right so i mean yeah you think yeah. about like any any square or any populace like santana rope right anywhere, anywhere yeah. yeah like yeah where, yeah south of market that wherever you might place be. that
2: people want to be place that people want to go mm-hmm. yeah
1: and you're there to, inv- to visit enjoy the amenities and growth is growth and things like you know we talked about this with cardwell as well like Things are just going to get more expensive. It's going to get more congested. The other, you know, on the flip side of that, though, ride share is going to continue to grow. So Uber and things like that, like that's going to drop you off if you're coming from out of downtown Mm -hmm. right in front of where you're going. And that's going to be more and more utilized as time goes on. Touche, and to say nothing about autonomous, right? I mean, yeah. the
2: reality, we're probably still a decade away, but I'm not surprised if in a decade you're Uber, there's no one in there. Yeah. It's like total recall, All right? right? Yeah. Or maybe there's a I know a robot yeah. talking to you. Yeah. Hey, hey not, how you doing? I'm not ready for that conversation.
0: But yeah, I mean, in, in in relation to the footprint that we're talking about with this this specific, you know, Measure P plan hotel and just you know that little downtown portion and the likes, like in a perfect world though, like it, it it stretches far beyond that. Like downtown is so much bigger than just what's you know what, what we've been looking at for the past year or you know right. very hard you know very vastly this year. Like it should be you know Second Street, Third Street, you know pushed out to Fourth you go Street. to
2: Fourth Street where you have Carnegie, that park, that beautiful library where we do the farmers with market. The farm, There's yeah, a right. stage there, like all of it, like and. Touche. It should be right and I'm like this 8.2 acres downtown then spent a lot of time talking about it. I was on the steering committee. And so I got pulled into all of this like political stuff based on that. And ultimately, my uncle Buck said to me, he goes, Look, Carl, you're gonna wake up at age 50. And the same two old white ladies are gonna have been running your town and i don't even know what that meant Mm -hmm. but at the end of the day joan seppala runs owns the independent newspaper and a huge influence behind the bank head she's worked closely with my uncle phil and a bunch of other people throughout the last 20 years 30 years in our community but it's really she doesn't speak for our generation Mm -hmm. and there's some misinformation out there and they don't care about what we want. And now I'm trying to just bring people together and say, let's, let's not let perfect get in the way of good. Let's move this forward. Yes. The Alden's, the Rusty's, the people downtown, they were promised a hotel when they came here. The Larry Dino's, the Three Steve's, the McGrail's, the you know they were promised a hotel. Like it's been in the works in the specific plan for 30 years in that location. Mm-hmm. The time has come. right and so we went through the process we need it right yeah we signed a development agreement or the the city council put through a development agreement with presidio i know rakesh he was going to be on your show here Ah. it's a family-owned business and then it gets referended so you can go and you can you can uh, get enough signatures and you can undo what the city council did that's Mm -hmm. part of the california state constitution it is what it is but they go and pay outside signature gatherers from out of town to come into our town and get those signatures you get it in go mm-hmm. through misinformation campaign in the newspaper like it's there it just is. there it is like it's just not the truth like right? but she yeah. owns a newspaper right. so she could put that in there and not charge own, herself in the
1: freaking middle of it right right in the mic. middle say is the and most recent one right this before, is the, most right before the vote yeah. yeah next week so
2: you know it, it's a battle out there but uh ultimately the city council is just tirelessly working as are a lot of people out there to hold the house parties to get the information out there and again i'm not not telling people how to vote i'm just saying educate yourself on what this vote is and what it looks like and what it could be if we don't move forward with this and what it could be economically for the local businesses i don't want rusty or alden to leave like rusty rusty's chop house or the what's he calling it now but we all know Rusty's and then second of Alden and the Simply Fondue downtown like some of these others like they're going to pick up their business they're going to be that much more successful by having a hotel there because you get a little more monday tuesday wednesday yeah, business right. and the likes that's what'll drive success and
0: for those who haven't worked in the restaurant industry lunch lunches pay the bills so dinners keep the lights on lunches pay the bills
2: lunches and and <laughs> so, monday tuesday
1: wednesday yeah. right if you're open on those times right that's uh, that's i mean on the wine industry side of things like i mean you know people are backing off right like we're we get that hotel. We get people visiting, and you're taking that like not only you know on Saturday and Sunday. Yeah, it's great to have bustling tasting rooms mm-hmm. filled with locals. That's the core of what we got. But it's uh, it's those people that come in, and four of them sit down on Monday and have the room to themselves, and they drop two, three thousand dollars. Yeah, right. Right. That's what feeds businesses like and like small wineries. F- 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 we'll go right. ahead And, finish, sorry, and uh, yeah, so I mean, like, and and imagine like i a, am a, a, I'm gonna fictitious number. If every winery in town. On the hospitality side of things saw an extra call it quarter million dollars a year yeah things that would change. do a things lot change. of things
0: for a lot of people right now yeah, we're for sitting sure. here talking about the tools that it takes to make
1: tremendous wines like this it's you know it's like like that pays for that's, some things right that's that's yep. always been the thing that like it's just like man we have the raw materials mm-hmm. we have like not only the raw materials but the history here as a wine growing region yeah the, the hotel ah. and, and vision right um, so getting those things aligned and then thinking about what this place is going to be like climatically in the future, all those things, like right.
0: Yeah. What yeah. happens? Uh, what happens if we don't get our hotel, Carl? What, what, what's next then?
2: So
1: this is just a yes on P, and yes on P
2: is to support the city council's decision, which was a five-zero
1: vote after a long outreach. Uh, so much. How many? How many? Yeah. I mean, a long outreach, gathering. years
2: yeah. of gathering, and again trying to bring things together everyone not everyone but most the vast majority support stockman's park it's going to be a beautiful park downtown where you're going to have a statue of a of a stockman that has a world war ii helmet in one hand and a cowboy hat in the other hand i think is world war ii someone corrected me on that but ultimately just paying homage to our veterans paying homage to our stockmen and then we're going to have a black box theater where we can do shakespeare plays and some other smaller stuff that isn't big enough for the bankhead and then a science and society center mm-hmm. sort of like a, a exploratorium type thing to really leverage the incredible wealth of super smart people that we have here in Livermore, one of the highest PhD per capita in the nation because of the two labs that we have to showcase to showcase that, right? You've got this this dream of mine where You have uh, you have a big old, you know, uh, let's call it a climate change, bringing people in to talk about climate change, and you have Bill Gates giving an address in the black box theater, and then you have. you have uh, Al Gore giving an address over there. You have the Science and Society Center talking about, or to the Science Center, it's called Quest Now, showing what is happening now. And then there's a big production put on at the Bankhead that's like a water world style, like what happens when the tides don't recede out of Miami, right? To be able to tell this comprehensive story on those 8.2 acres. You have food trucks coming in. You have wineries set up that are pouring the wines that we have. You have the restaurants that are thriving. You have people on the rooftop at... What's it, aviation? You have people on the rooftop at, uh, At uh, the hotel, that are looking down on that blacksmith plaza out front, where there's a band playing, that's celebrating what we have. Like it's bringing the community together, right? We just want to move forward on some of this stuff. You know, and something too, right? That's just these uh, lights going on in my head, Uh, right? Music, music, food, wine, camaraderie, discussion are all good things. So then you said, what if it doesn't happen? So in March we have the we have the yes on P and yes on P, yes on P, yes on P. P, Move forward with what the city council and the people have said that they want there's a few that don't agree with that and those few are vocal those few own the local newspaper and those few have a lot of money that they're able to put out and and spread a sort of a word of misinformation so knocking on wood god forbid measure does not pass it's still onward we go right there's it doesn't prohibit everything you know the world doesn't totally fall apart but it does become unknown because of the state laws that are coming through, right? I don't know if you guys are aware, but there's something of a housing crisis and a homelessness crisis. I say that cynically, right? We see it every day and it continues to go and grow. This might surprise you guys as well is that Humans are continuing to procreate and populate. And (laughs) if you don't build houses to keep up with it, there's going to be an issue. So do something, right? Let in law units go, like build higher, build next to transportation centers. Like, and we have a transportation center downtown, and their state laws are going to come in and say you've got to go eight stories if you're within a half a mile of transportation centers. Thus, it takes away local control, takes away local control because local control has not built enough housing to keep up with the population growth. So thus, of course, right? I mean, if there's not enough beds, you're gonna, like, you gotta sleep as a human, so you're gonna go down by the river, go down by the creek, you're gonna just find a spot, right? And that's where we, as a society, I'm so ready to be done talking about downtown so we can address the fact that we have homelessness going on that, you know, so. And kind of the the
0: point being made there is if a a no on P, if, you know, if there's not a development agreement under, you know, under contract um, with this measure measure P, then things that are important but may not be best there you know, we don't need an eight-story an eight subsidized housing right in our downtown next to our Bankhead Theater, right? Like, it's
2: better served for a hotel. It's it better served for a hotel than and that. we can talk about that conversation elsewhere. It's yeah. important, like you said, it's important, but like, let's talk about what We have all of that right. between railroad, between railroad avenue and the tracks, mm-hmm. right? There's a lot of land there where you'd put housing, put eight-story housing in, it's the same walk, mm-hmm. right? There's this yeah. stuff, so it's there, and we want to. And like, our generation, we wanna be homeowners in this area, and, the service industry, the trades, our policemen, our firemen, our teachers, it's tougher and tougher for them to be able to live here in this area. And that's a travesty that, that communities work best When those folks live in their community, then it's a community. But if you're like trucking people in, they're coming up over the Altamont, spending three and a half hours a day Mm -hmm. away from their family, looking at either taillights or the back of a car, if it's light. But (laughs) for the sake of clarity, like when we're talking about affordable housing, like there is a difference between like subsidized
0: housing and then like Brandon said, housing that is just indeed affordable and people should be, you know, we should have the opportunity. Right. That's a discussion on its own. Yeah. And how that's. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So. All right. Cool man we're getting there how are you how are you feeling how you feeling over there i'm chill we're i got an, I got an empty glass i'll still you got. I I knew know i you i knew i should have brought i knew i should have brought too
1: i can make the call well how about this let's you know here. we got some
0: beers we're gonna, this is going to be a two parter anyway so why don't we just take a little breather here um click a couple pens and then just take you know 3 minutes and we're back Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the TTG Podcast. Follow us on Instagram at ttg underscore podcast and at Nottingham Cellars for all of the latest news and specials. Located on and Research, next door to the Altamont Beer Works, our tasting room is open to the public Thursday through Sunday from 12 to 4.30, or book an appointment Monday through Wednesday. Remember, wine is best shared, so don't forget to plan your next special event with us using email reservations at nottinghamcellars.com. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. We'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Through the Grapevine. It was a pleasure to have Carl for this amazing episode diving into the history, the present, and what's next for us here in Livermore Valley. Be sure to tune in next week for part two of this great interview. Most importantly, today, get out and vote yes on Measure P and stand on the side of progress. Tomorrow is your last day and every vote counts. Thanks again, everyone, and we'll see you soon. Bye.